Great. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, welcome all to today's conversation around enabling leadership and the power of curiosity. And, and all of us in one form or another are engaged in some aspect of leadership. And there's obviously been a seismic shift. There's been a paradigm shift in the way we've been thinking about safety and in many ways uh, exploring this idea of how do you engage people from the perspective of understanding the broader world of work and what is it that helps and hinders people in work and delivering successful outcomes. And I suppose we're all faced, you know, to a degree with a choice uh, around leadership. And if we go back to uh, the early 1900s and we revisit Frederick Winslow Taylor, we, we come to the School of Scientific Management. And, and in many ways, that was the beginning and sometimes the continuation of how we think about leadership, very much in terms of command and control. Or another way of describing it is directing and telling people uh, what they need to do. But equally, uh, we can think about leadership through the lens of how do you engage and align uh, people around the objectives of successful work. And today, I want to really explore the right-hand side and uh, have a look at what, what does it actually mean for leadership? Uh, what is it that we might need to pay uh, more attention to, uh, give greater energy to? And uh, here's a, a neat sort of graphic in terms of just describing the shift. Uh, in some senses, particularly organisations that are facing uh, challenging times, goal conflicts, constraints, uh, feeling a number of production and time pressures, uh, it's very easy for a leader to revert to that command and control uh, sense of leadership. Uh, sometimes it can be driven also by uh, an understanding or review as to where does expertise uh, lie in an organisation. And uh, sometimes that's viewed as being those who are in leadership or those who are the technical or subject matter experts. That then drives a, a particular way or style in which we interact with people. And again, it tends to reinforce this position, leader knows best, my job is to direct people what to do and uh, to motivate them because when they come to work, uh, they need to be incentivized in order to do work uh, and to contribute to productivity. Or we can take an alternate view, which is that really people uh, in our team and across our organization are really frontline experts. Uh, in many ways, they're the ones who are closest to work. They're the ones who interact with work. They're the ones who drive uh, work-based decisions. And with that brings a degree of curiosity where we might be beginning to ask all sorts of questions about uh, how is it that people make sense of that work? You know, what is it that they're seeking to try and achieve? And uh, what is actually helping and hindering that pursuit? It's interesting if we, we look at leadership, there's a wide array or spectrum of different models of leadership. And I've just organized this into, you know, some common ways in which we think about leadership. You know, everything from it being autocratic uh, through to being a more of affiliative and coaching style. And probably what would be fair to say here is that in many ways, uh, leadership also needs to mirror uh, something of the organizational objective and situation, which would take us to more of a situational leadership model. 
But what's concerning if we move and think a bit about what we know from the Gallup research uh, out of the US, uh, there's some quite profound, uh, I suppose, insights that have come really over the last, really the last 20 years, and they really haven't shifted. Uh, one of that is an interesting insight about, you know, what is it that drives engagement within the team? And when I use the word engagement, I'm thinking about things like ownership, uh, thinking about uh, accountability, responsibility taking, uh, the giving of discretionary effort. And what was interesting in this research, which is well validated and it's worth having a look at, is that 70% of that variance around team engagement is really directly related to what the manager or the leader does or does not do. Also, what's probably even more alarming, if you look uh, as to measuring uh, engagement and thinking about, well, how engaged uh, are people in the workforce? And, you know, if you think about worldwide, 15%. I mean, that's less than one in five. And if you think about the US, uh, one in three. Now, that gives rise to significant issues around an organisation's ability uh, to successfully deliver work and meet its objectives. Um, it's also interesting to think about how people's view of work is shifting over time. And certainly COVID has been a really interesting, uh, I suppose, period where we've had to rethink uh, many of our assumptions about work and what drives and delivers successful work. Uh, if you think about the past, uh, work was very much around, you know, you know what, what's my package? Um, you know, what's my level of satisfaction? It's about my boss, about the annual review. It's focusing on my weaknesses. It's about my job. And if you think about our future, and I would suggest to you our, our current context, it is much more around, you know, purpose, development, coaching, uh, an ongoing uh, conversation, more about focusing on people's strengths and how do you, uh, as it were, uh, in, in, in tap into that, uh, draw on that, and then much more about my life rather than just defining myself uh, by my job. So we really are at a point in time where we're thinking about leadership um, that is quite interesting. And I want to talk to you about, obviously, today around enabling leadership. So it's always important to think about, well, why start with uh, a shift in the way we think about either the way we lead an organisation? I appreciate some of you uh, are here and uh, you have a significant senior leadership role. Uh, others of you are leading uh, uh, probably business units, uh, particular functions. Others are leading teams. And certainly uh, most of us probably here lead uh, work that people do each day. And I thought it might be interesting just to start with that question, why might we need to think about changing the way we lead? I've uh, posed the question that it's very easy uh, to gravitate towards a direct and tell model of leadership. Uh, even while we're saying it's very important to empower people. So what I'd like to invite people to do in the chat function, if you click on the little uh, thought speech bubble at the bottom, and um, I really would welcome your thoughts um, as to uh, why would it be that we might need to think about making a shift uh, in the way we not only think about leadership um, and uh, practice leadership, but what is it? Why might we need to make a shift? 
And I'm not suggesting at the moment we're all in a universal similar place, but thinking about your own organisational environment, your own work context, um, why is it that we might need to think about a shift in leadership? So um, please uh, jump in. I love that, Richard, because it's not working and it'd be really interesting. Um, yep, yeah, Katrina, you know, COVID's changed the way people think. Uh, Stephen, um, it's interesting, we've come as far as we can, but we've actually seen a decline in improvement. So, so you know, part of why we might need to think about this is about not only uh, improvement, but also about learning. And I think, you know, thanks, Leanne, you know, people are actually motivated very differently. If you think about this, you know, historically, you know, we've thought about motivation from the point of view of extrinsic, external to the person. Um, it's really about reward or, or consequence, or we could boil that down to carrot and stick. Very interesting. But we know that really what fundamentally really motivates people is intrinsic motivation. That's about having a, a sense of shared purpose, a purpose that's greater than myself. It's about autonomy, this ability to self-manage, to make decisions, to self-organise work, and also uh, mastery. And I think it's also interesting, Anne-Marie, that COVID-19 has certainly opened up lots of opportunities for an evolution in leadership, because if people are all scattered around the country, working uh, in, an, uh, in an office that's their home, via like we are today online, then you know, command and control is pretty difficult to do. You can issue an edict, an email, a directive, but really uh, that's not gonna be all that effective. Um, uh, I think it's interesting, Kelly, uh, we need to nurture the variety of skill sets that exist already uh, in the company. You know, often we're not devoid of capacity and resource. We're just somehow, we haven't untapped it or we haven't unlocked it. Um, and it's interesting, uh, thanks, Tamsi. This has been a really interesting finding from the Gallup research. People often leave an organisation because of their boss. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, the numbers often quoted somewhere around 54 to 59% of the reason why people leave is because the way their leader uh, either interacts or does not interact uh, with them. So I was just wondering if it's okay, and uh, I appreciate that we're in a, a bit of a smaller group today. So I thought it might be interesting just to invite people into the conversation. And uh, I'm very happy for people uh, to say pass. So I thought I might come, if it's okay uh, to you, Anne-Marie, uh, what are you seeing is uh, that sort of this evolution in leadership opportunity because of COVID? So, Amory, would you like to come off uh, mic, off mute, sorry, and uh, maybe share some of your observations? That would be very helpful. All right. Well, I'll have to. Um, I think we need to get Amory to um, put in the chat if she's okay with that, and then I can... Yeah, sure. Amory, if you wanted to say with you're okay with that, and then I'll invite uh, Sarah just to take you off mute. Great. Excellent. So would you like to unmute Anne-Marie and let's just uh, hear some of your observations, Anne-Marie. Um, over to you, Anne-Marie. Um, I just think that we've had with, as we said, people working remotely and people basically being very autonomous. I just think the time's come not to go back to the way it was. Um, and it seems like also, I think um, communication um, 
can have been an issue because that incidental chat hasn't happened. So the need to make sure that um, where you've got groups that are working really well and have done in COVID, what did they do that meant they they were thriving and things working really well? Um, as opposed to the ones that we know didn't work so well. So I just think it's that sort of opportunity to delve in and see what was happening with the groups that were really going well. I think that's fascinating, Anne-Marie, and to ask, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you have to a degree extend autonomy and trust. Mm. And uh, for some, that's worked exceptionally well. And to find out what, what were the... Um, what were the conditions that made that work well, but also recognising that you don't get to have that, what you'd call that water cooler or coffee chat, you know, that incidental chat uh, when you're all working in different locations. So, you know, again, uh, some degree of curiosity, uh, how could you discover more about what would help in that space? So thanks, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Cassandra, I was just going to ask if you're okay about coming off mute, and if that is the case, please just put okay in the chat. Um, I'll just give you a chance because I think it's really interesting. Uh, you've talked a little bit about improving relationships with the front line lead, and that leaders need to ensure that they support what people need in order to do. Um, okay, well, we'll try with your croaky voice, Cassandra. So I'll get uh, Sarah to unmute you. And just uh, share your thoughts. Thanks, Cassandra. No worries. Um... So we, we have different um, types of leaders where I am. So depending on, um, you know, because I work for, I can't even know if I can say it. <laughs> um, but there's a lot, there is quite a bit of autonomy depending on, on the subject matter that the person's doing. And I can see particular professionals flourish um, with that level of autonomy and being able to feel comfortable asking for different support. So it's more of a coaching model. And then in other parts of the organisation, it's extremely hierarchical um, <clears throat> and I can see the impact, um, you know, in terms of the lack of innovation, um, the lack of control um, and how that actually affects morale. So in one organisation, I can see both models in play and how the, that it has affected the culture of different parts as well. Thanks, Cassandra. Yeah, that makes perfectly great sense. Uh, and I, thank you for coming off, and I hope you get better shortly. Thank you. I think, it, I think it's really interesting. So you can look at two organisations in their culture, and on the one hand, you can see where a leader has intentionally engaged in much more of a coaching uh, modality. Um, you know, what is it that you need? And, and coaching starts with curiosity. And if we think of the GROW model for coaching, it really starts with the team member's goal. You know, what is it that you need? And uh, what is it that I as a leader could contribute for you to be able to bring your expertise and really leverage that into successful work? And then I think it's interesting, Cassandra, you can then look at other organisations that very much, you know, for a range of reasons have adopted a more hierarchical model and what impact that has both in levels of engagement and uh, discretionary effort and ownership, but also then in innovation in bringing about positive change and improvement. So thank you for that. I think that's really helpful. So we'll move on, but thank you for sharing that. So I think the other reason why this is all very important, because one of the things that we know is that there is an obvious uh, gap between the way work is intended and the way work is done. And so often, you know, in a command and control form of leadership, 
uh, or a leadership that's heavily biased towards the leader is the expert. Uh, there is a tendency to think, well, work happens as it is actually designed and planned. But the reality is we know that work is messy and that people are constantly uh, adapting to what we call variability, this gap between the way work is intended and done. And I think this is one of the driving factors as we move into work that certainly if we borrow from the Kniven framework is much more complicated or complex. And so we need to then think through, um, if that's the case, well, then what type of leadership then best facilitates uh, engagement, uh, contribution, and ultimately uh, delivers what is the agreed objective? With that, you know, you can have a look at this. This is a wonderful shot for anyone that's involved in the work of uh, utilities and dig and dial before you dig. You can see um, that probably looks nothing like the original plan. And you can see there's been sorts, all sorts of adaptations. But then you can see work as an ideal in the top right uh, corner, and you can see work intended on the top left. Yet the reality is work often doesn't look like the top, it looks like the bottom. And if you think about it, it's really the black line. The black line really represents the way we sort of think about and see how work is certainly intended. The reality is the blue line is what happens day to day. It's this variability. It's about this gap between the way work is intended or designed or imagined and how it's done. And we've got a red line here, which is really the, the margin, the risk margin. And as we get closer to that risk line, we then see a greater likelihood. But you can see here that that safety margin or risk margin is not itself movable. It's not a static line. And of course, you know, we can drift then uh, and at some point that blue line crosses that margin of safety and we find that we have the unwanted event or the incident. But what's interesting, it's really the frontline worker. It's the person who's fundamentally doing the job who's the master of both understanding and actually managing that blue line. So the, the, the next thing I want to suggest to you is where to focus as a leader. And uh, for those who have traveled a little bit and have, have attended some of these prior webinars, you'll have seen this uh, previously, uh, this idea of most work is a bit like the bell curve. And most work goes according to the normal solution, we get the planned outcome. And what's interesting is that often there's positive surprise or things go well. And I want to suggest to you this, this is, a, this is a, an excellent place to unlock. And it goes back to your earlier point, uh, Anne-Marie, and, and also Cassandra. You can actually go and learn from that and then say, how do you leverage from that as a leader? How do you make that more sustainable? But you can also learn when work is difficult. Uh, nothing's gone wrong, but nevertheless, work is harder than it needs to be. And we know that if we leave work in that condition or state, then you know, there's a greater uh, opportunity for it to then lead into not only difficult work, but then we lose control and we have some unwanted event. So I want to suggest to you as an enabling leader, we're, we're thinking about this idea of variability. We're thinking about how people successfully adapt. And then we're thinking about where can we go and learn? And so what this does, it brings about a fundamental shift um, rather than uh, a leader being preoccupied with hunting for error and trying to locate error. Rather, it's about really understanding performance. And it's really understanding performance both that is seen to be good or optimal 
or performance that might be bad or suboptimal, and, and recognizing that that performance is connected uh, to both the tools, the resources, the plans, the strategies, the things that we give people in order to do the work. Because if you think about it, what drives that variability? What drives that blue line? Well, it's really about things like you know, constraints, resource constraints, time pressures, production pressures, uh, lack of skill or knowledge, flawed processes. And then also we have obviously goal conflicts. And it's all those things that if we were to be able as an enabling sort of a leadership model, tune into and identify with people, then we can begin to unlock the solutions. Because if you think about it, you know, human error is really just a symptom. It's actually not the cause of the problem. If you think about it, the cause of the problem lies much deeper in the system. And I know many of you will be familiar with the work of Deming, Plan, Do, Check, Act, Cycle, the PDCA. Well, it's fascinating. You think about Deming was writing, you know, from the early sort of um, 1920s into the late 1900s. And uh, basically his view was, is that a bad system will beat a good person every time. And he also identified that 85% of failures um, are really about deficiencies in the system rather than the employee. He then argues, and I think this you know, is quite revolutionary. We're now going back you know, nearly um, 40 or 50 years ago in his writings. He argued that the role of management, or this has replaced the word leader, is to change the process rather than badgering individuals. And I think it's just a really interesting mindset. And uh, in a sense, if we can start to see that really trouble is brewing deeper in the system, then we're much more able to exercise leadership that I think is meaningful uh, and, and a leadership that really gives people a sense of clarity of how to proceed as an organisation. I suppose if we think about this through the, the lens of safety, it's interesting to think about what type of problem are we trying to then, in a sense, lead and address. And, you know, we can think about it being a simple problem. Uh, simple problems have a clear uh, cause and effect. It's fairly linear in nature. And, um, you know, it, it could be likened to baking a cake. Uh, complicated. Um, it, this process is repeatable, but it can be difficult. And, you know, a helpful analogy might be, you know, sending a rocket to the moon. Um, there are many critical things that you need to pay attention to. You need a high level of expertise. But there's some degree of certainty of the outcome if you follow all the required steps and processes. And then obviously complex, you know, really, you know, is something which has um, sometimes described as the wicked problem. It's sometimes seen as unruly. Um, there are things which are non-linear. Uh, there are emergent properties that people didn't anticipate or expect. And I love the analogy. It's a bit like raising a child. And you might want to reflect on your own experience, maybe reflect on either you've got children or you've been a sibling and uh, reflect on the really interesting um, uh, situation. You have one child and you've, um, you've responded to that child in a particular way. I think this is simple. I just got to follow the... Um, the formula and it'll, it'll just happen the same and you suddenly discover that it's totally different. And this is really entering and pushing into the world of complicated. So if that's the world of work 
And we could spend a bit more time talking about that, but if we, we accept that that's the context, and I think looking at the, uh, the chat comments, I think, Sarah, we're probably in agreement that that's the world of work that we operate in, and certainly it's been uh, brought to bear through COVID. Um, there are some really interesting principles that we could think about. And then if you were to embrace those principles, um, I think one of the things that Safety Differently is still uh, exploring then is, well, what type of leadership is required in order to deliver against these three principles? If we say, you know, really, people are the solution to harness. You know, we want to build capacity for things to go right. Um, we, we become much more interested in capacity rather than an injury, you know, that the thing has happened. We actually want to build the capacity for things to go right. And we want to build this notion of a shared responsibility for setting up and maintaining successful work rather than it being a bureaucratic activity, only hunting for the unwanted event and seeing really people um, as the problem to control. Well, then it's really enabling leadership will bring that to life. So I thought it might be helpful to then try and unpack that in the second half of the webinar and then you know, hand it over to you, Sarah, uh, for some questions. If you think about engage, really that's gonna require uh, active curiosity. It's gonna require not, not just expertise, but the ability to suspend judgment and opinion in order to really explore work as done and really to understand what is helping and hindering work. It's also gonna be really about listening for understanding. If you think about enable, it's really about, well, how do I support my team or my organisation or my function or department to successfully navigate either complicated or complex work? How do I support that? And it goes back to the earlier comment, particularly around communication and you know, engaging stakeholders, et cetera. And then ultimately, how do I facilitate shared learning and guide and support improvements? So how do I become someone who's an enabler of this successful work and support people to be able to exercise a degree of autonomy. And if you think about that, that really then requires a sense of empathy, uh, a very intentional focus on building trust where there is a shared vulnerability. Uh, it's about extending motivation, moving away from extrinsic to embracing intrinsic motivation. And certainly uh, it's moving from blame and saying, well, blame is really the least interesting thing along with human error to really learning and uh, embracing this notion of how did this make sense to people at the time? You know, what is it that people were trying to achieve? Uh, what did they have at their disposal uh, in order to do this work? I suppose with that, it really moves us to think differently about behaviour. If you think about behaviour from a command and control sort of uh, mindset, It'll be the old ABC model. Well, there's something that happened before, someone made a choice and there's a consequence. That tends to really drive a very much a classical conditioning view of the world, stimulus and the person responds. It's almost like it's this automated response. And then that leads to classical conditioning. So the way I get people to do what I want them to do as a leader is I'll reward them for their good choice if they press the lever for food, they'll get food. And if they don't, there'll be some consequence or worse still, punishment. And I used earlier on the shorthand of carrot and stick. So if we accept that safety is complex, work is complex, 
people are complex, I want to suggest to you that embracing that sort of view of human behavior uh, is quite limiting in terms of not only bringing about continuous improvement and engagement, but it's quite limiting to our leadership. I'm happy to share and uh, you'll be able to access this. It's from the International Civil uh, Aviation Organization. Uh, they've put together last year a, a really excellent manual on human performance. And I think this is fascinating because this has been written for and by regulators. So this is for the international aviation commercial industry. And it's now become the benchmark for thinking uh, in a very different lens about how you might understand human behavior. And I hope I can just sort of whet your appetite. There are sort of five principles that shape this. You know, one is actually thinking about behavior is not just a cause and effect. It's not stimulus and response. It's actually shaped by both people's capabilities and also not only their limitations, but the limitations in their environment. If you think about the second principle is really helpful. People interpret situations differently in a way that makes sense to them. Uh, if we borrow from the earlier work of Carl Week, people are constantly sense-making. They're trying to make sense of something. They're trying to put this in context. And then with that, the third principle, people will adapt to the complex and dynamic work environment. In other words, people are looking to be able to be successful. Or if you think about James Reason's work, that people are optimizing on behalf of the organization. People have a set of demands, people have resources, and what they're trying to do is meet an objective that relates to that demand using the resources they've been given. And obviously through all of this, people are constantly assessing risk. And the reality is, they're making trade-offs. And if you think about the early work of uh, Eric Holnagel, where he talks about efficiency and thoroughness and this trade-off, on the one end, you have efficiency. So this is doing everything uh, in a way that is required to get the job done in this dynamic environment. On the other hand, we have thoroughness, following a step-by-step -step process. And what Eric has got us to think about from a resilience engineering point of view is that people are constantly making this trade-off. People are making an assessment. They'll make a trade-off. They'll either move towards efficiency or thoroughness, but you can't necessarily achieve that simultaneously. And then the final one is, I think, really helpful. You know, people's performance is actually influenced. It's driven. It's shaped by working both within their team, the team dynamic, the culture, also the technology and the broader work environment. So um, that, that um, is freely available. You can search it on the web and I would really suggest it's well worth reading. It talks about human performance. It talks about ergonomics and it talks about systems thinking. And I think in a very helpful document brings it together. And I would suggest to you it's absolutely essential reading for enabling leadership. Um, Mark, I just... So, I found that document and put the link in the chat there. Excellent. Thank you. And um, the other thing I want to just draw our attention just to a couple of other things I think that are very important that would help us. Thank you for doing that, Sarah, that will help us move towards enabling leadership. One is to call out uh, the obvious, which is our unconscious biases. Uh, we're constantly uh, operating with biases and they themselves are not a bad thing. They often help us make quick decisions, but they're not always the best decision. And uh, you might think about Daniel Kahneman's work of fast and slow thinking. Biases have a role. 
uh, biases, uh, biases are often called a, a heuristic or a, a rule of thumb for helping make a decision. But you can see here, often after there's been the unwanted event, a person will look back at that and go, oh, this is bleedingly obvious. I, I can make sense of this. I can see you know, how this works. Um, but when you do that, it really pays no attention to what was going on at the time and how the person was trying to then make sense of this um, in terms of the event. And you can see here a surgeon and appreciate the work of Richard Cook in this space, you know, got all sorts of choices and is weighing that up. But when the person after the event looks on, they see only one pathway and one explanation. I uh, won't play the video, but I'm sure people have seen if you search for Captain Hindsight, um, it's a great video. Um, and uh, really comes and arrives at a fire scene from South Park and explains the most obvious and then leaves saying the work's been done because I've explained it, what's happened. But I'll, we'll move on. There's all sorts of uh, biases. There's stereotyping, you know, where we'll, we'll jump to a conclusion because this represents something that we know about or we hold a view about. I love fundamental attribution uh, bias and error. When I do something, it makes sense. When someone else do some, does something, uh, it, it's explained often through the lens of blame. We can frame and we can anchor things. So we, we have a frame and uh, that becomes the filter by how we see things. Uh, we can have confirmation bias. I have a belief. So I'll go out and I'll search for things that will somehow marry my belief. Or we've got the bandwagon effect. You know, uh, do I stand aside? I'm here waiting for the bus. Uh, and that's where it says that's the bus stop. But this group over here seemed to be waiting for the bus. Should I go and join them? So all these biases are constantly at work. And I think one of the things that's really important is that we engage with our team in such a way that we invite them uh, to help us as a leader uncover and understand our biases. And with that, you know, Sydney Deck has done some great work around this idea of local rationality. And, you know, reasonable people doing reasonable things make sense of things. And uh, so if we really want to try and understand uh, from a, an engaged and enabled perspective, we want to try and understand, well, what were the goals? What were the objectives the person or the team were trying to do? What was the knowledge that they had? Where was their focus of attention? Uh, how did it make sense to them? And that's what we want to start to explore. Now, if we do that, we, we move to the right-hand side of this graph. So we move to engaging in adult-to-adult -adult, uh, types of conversations with curiosity. And when we move to that space, typically what happens is we build empathy and trust. And when we have empathy and trust, then people are much more likely to not only tell us about what is helping and hindering work, but they're much more likely to share their solutions and be more open to being engaged in those solutions being implemented. The other thing that's really helpful is to think about uh, how we can engage with the idea of freedom within a framework. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Uh, how do we get people to engage in such a way that they get to operate and make decisions? And so with this freedom within a framework, we set a boundary um, a boundary could be defined by a rule, a requirement, um, a policy or a procedure. There's a boundary. 
And uh, depending upon the risk context is where we set that boundary. And then what we try to do is to give people as an enabling leader, few and simple rules. In other words, they're rules that are easily understood. Uh, they're rules that to the team make sense. Uh, they're rules that if you followed them, they're likely to deliver uh, successful work. Um, and they're also rules that we as a leader, as an enabling leader go, you know what? We've got the sufficient and the required resources for people to enact or to follow those rules. And then what we do is we allow people then to exercise autonomy. In other words, as a leader, we step back and we let people exercise a discretion and freedom of action. In other words, we let people make decisions. Um, we rely on the skill and the will of those in the team. And we rely on them sharing their purpose. And it's really interesting, as you do that, you move to not only better outcomes, but you certainly move to much stronger ownership and engagement. And if you think about it, uh, uh, the team and the leader need to, to a degree to accept some degree of uncertainty or ambiguity. And so we talk about this as being the freedom within a framework. Now, it's not social anarchy. It's not about remove all rules, but enabling leaders constantly use not only curiosity, but they use this idea of freedom within a framework where we set our people up with a shared responsibility for successful work. And then we allow people to self-organize their work to make decisions. So I thought it might be useful. And I, won't, I won't ask you to come off mic this time, but I thought just in the chat function, what might a leader then need to do in order to set up freedom within a framework? So think about this for a moment. If this is a useful model to deploy, and obviously the boundaries set by the nature of the work and the risk and the knowledge that that team or expertise that team has. Can I ask you, what do you think a leader needs to then do? What's their role and contribution to help a team work successfully within this uh, freedom within a framework uh, context? So can I just give you a moment just to brainstorm in the chat function? What might a leader need to do? I'm really interested to find out what might a leader need to do? So I'll give you a moment just to uh, put a, a comment in. So if you're going to embrace this type of uh, way of operating, engage and align, enabled leadership, and you're going to use freedom within a framework, what might a leader's role or contribution need to be? Yep, I love that, Kelly. So reflect on the relationship between ego <laughs> and successful in implementation. And so sometimes that means a leader has to say, you know, I, I actually need to let go and allow others to make decisions. Yeah, and I agree, Richard, setting clear objectives and maintaining transparency. So this only works well if a leader gives a, a clear objective or, or, or a few objectives to um, work. Katrina, take a step back and let the team work. Yep, Nick, provide a clear purpose for the team. And Lisa, I love that, be available to contribute when needed. So it's almost, you know, when you need me, call me in. Uh, and this is not like the absent landlord. This is really about, you know, allowing the team to take ownership. Yep, and I love Cassandra, restorative justice. No point if people fear that they get it wrong and they're going to get into trouble. So, so really here, I, I think, Cassandra, it's really about building, you know, 
uh, transparency, uh, psychological safety, and trust. And uh, and need to explain Emory the purpose, the approach, and to ensure there's great uh, connection. Dave, be present. There's some great suggestions here. Nick, ensure um, that we're uh, giving a clear purpose, being available, etc. So there's some great things there. Um, but you're still responsible for the outcome. I love that, Nick. Yeah, so there's still an accountability here. This is not, in a way, the leader giving away ultimately their accountability. And I think, Tamsi, it's great. In the end, when you do that and you give the opportunity, um, you'll find the team will come up with a solution themselves. And, um, and the other thing, Tracy, listen to everyone's ideas, not be dismissive of the ideas, particularly if they vary from mine as the leader. Um, the other thing I just want to suggest to you is the importance of the wisdom of the crown. It was really interesting, uh, a long time ago, there was an experiment done about the weight of a dressed ox. And uh, the, what happened was, it was an interesting mathematician. And um, there, was a, there was a guessing competition, a bit like you know, how many jelly beans are in the jar. And uh, at the end of it, someone won, they got the closest to the weight of the ox and they took it away very happily. Now, what's interesting is that this particular person said, can I, can I collect all the, the tabs of paper? And they found something that was fascinating. The, the guest that was closest was not the person who was close. It was the average result. Let me say that again. It was the average result. It was the wisdom of the crown. It was the average number was the closest to the actual weight of the oxen. There's been some further research done just most recently in 2018 and they've found that even better performance happens when you do that and then you move to small groups and you get small groups to collaborate uh, around the opinion and reach a decision. They have found that that actually leads to even greater accuracy. So have a look, the wisdom of the crown, uh, it's a great way of uh, really um, not only uh, engaging, but also getting greater quality of solution. The final thing I wanna finish up on before I hand back uh, in a moment to you, Sarah, is about uh, this idea of greater curiosity. And uh, this is a framework that's really helpful that can drive enabling leadership and what it is that we might be curious about. So, you know, clearly, you know, so how is success created is a really interesting question. Then how is it challenged and how is it broken? Whether that be at a, at a task or process level, whether it be at a team level or organisationally wide. Uh, you know, the questions are really around what helps and hinders performance or the way work is being done. Finding out actually what people rely on in terms of tools and resources and strategies. From there, you then really move into the fourth area, which is understanding the conditions and constraints that actually make work uh, difficult. And then finally, it's really interesting to be curious about how are we measuring and tracking success? And when we start to do that, our focus becomes normal work. And so it's really understanding what sometimes might have been seen as being fairly mundane. This is the space of enabling leadership. This is the space for using freedom within a framework and challenging our cognitive biases and actually examining and observing normal work as it's actually being done, but through the lens of those doing the work. And really finding out rather than, you know, detecting and correcting some sort of variance is actually trying to understand that variation and how it makes sense and how could we collaborate in order to deliver more successful work. 
And then if you start to do that, it frames up a whole range of curious questions. And I want to suggest to you one of the greatest uh, tools in an enabling leader's uh, sort of repertoire is not just their curiosity, but is a well-honed curious question uh, that then is not only elicits a great response, but then you as a leader, uh, then you listen actively and explore. And the reality is you actually might only ask one of these curious questions on the screen. And uh, that might lead to a half hour insightful conversation that leads to continuous improvement and learning. And so there's all sorts of questions that you can look at what success looks like, you know, when and where did we almost get it right? What helped to make things go right? Is a great question to explore. You know, when work is difficult in the past few months, have there been times when you were really frustrated because something wasn't making your job, something was making your job, sorry, difficult? What happened? What solutions have you or others come up with to make it easier? Can be a great question. Work variation. You know, when does the standard way or the process not actually does not work when you go to do the job uh, is a great question. What does work depend on? You know, what do you depend on, you and others in the team, uh, for this job to go right or be successful? And then finally, innovations. You know, it's, it's a very useful question. What would make your job easier, better, or more efficient? Or if you had, you know, for a moment, you know, a sum of money, you know, and it needs to be a sum that would make sense for that team, you know, $10,000. And if you were tasked to make this a better workplace, improve this task we've been talking about this morning, what would you spend it on? How would you spend it? And what benefit would you derive? Are the sorts of questions we can then begin to frame. And I think uh, it's really interesting if you have a look at the work of Edgar Schein, who really has been the forerun, forerun thinker on, um, you know, uh, on culture. And, um, and uh, it's really interesting in his latter work, he's still writing, even though he's retired and he's written some fantastic work. Uh, one is on humble leadership, um, but he talks about this idea of trust and humility. And I love this humble inquiry is the fine art of drawing someone out, of asking questions to which you do not already have the answer, of building a relationship based on curiosity and interest in the other person. And really at the end, that's the heart and the mission of the enabling leader. And finally, if you think about curiosity, it really does build performance. There was a fascinating um, piece of research that was recently published in, in the Harvard Business Journal, and it found a, a number of things uh, of benefit organizationally out of curiosity. You know, there's fewer decision-making errors. Uh, it's interesting, there's actually reduced group conflict, both within a team and between teams. What tends to happen when you have curiosity is more open communication. And obviously, if we go back to the Gallup research where we started this uh, discussion today, there is greater engagement ownership when an enabling leader embraces genuine curiosity. There's greater trust uh, within and between teams. People then tend to build more diverse networks of collaboration. You see improved team performance. Uh, obviously, there's increased innovation, uh, there's creation of local solutions, and obviously, if we go back to the blue and the black line, there's a, a really a detecting much earlier of danger and threat signals. So uh, I hope that what we've covered here on enabling leadership has really sparked some interest for you 
in exploring this further and how it is that you might build into your practices greater enabling leadership and how you might influence others. So with that, I'll hand you back for the last 10 minutes. Back to you, Sarah. Thank you, Mark. That's very interesting. So the first question we have is why, from Richard, why would you suspend expertise to achieve engagement? Yeah, it's a great question, Richard. So when I say suspend uh, expertise, because when we have expertise, what that tends to drive is I already know the answer. So if I suspend expertise, and, and that's why the word suspend, it's not dismiss, uh, it's not value, it's just simply put it on hold, because then I can be much more curious. And if I'm curious, and people feel like I really understand their world of work, and really what is helping and hindering work, then that will drive engagement. And then what will happen is that will then lead to local solutions being derived, and then from there, we will get greater ownership and responsibility taking because it's now a solution that I've contributed to. So when we don't suspend expertise, it's almost like we don't see a need to ask a question in the first place. We don't see a, a pressing need, I think, Sarah and Richard, to be curious. And secondly, uh, we'll tend to ask a question, then answer it ourselves. Or we'll allow cognitive bias to um, take hold and we won't really hear what the person is telling us. So um, that's why we use the word suspend, not dismiss, nor not value. It's simply put on hold. I hope that helps, Richard, but please feel free to come back and ask a further question. Uh, welcome that. Back to you, Sarah. Okay. We don't have any further questions at the moment. I um, I'm uh, just put a link in the chat because I'm also curious. Um, about what people want to hear more about. So um, that's just a very quick survey about the webinars and just asking um, what topics you would like to learn more about from um, presenters. So um, yeah, Mark, we don't have any other questions just now. And every time I say that, we always get another one, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I know what I'd welcome. Um, because this is more of a webinar and I appreciate, you know, I'm in a sense presenting something, I'd love to get from you a score of, um, let's go from zero to 10. So zero is, uh, well, I, I gain nothing from here to 10. This has been very interesting. And I, I can take away something that I could incorporate either into my leadership or I could be of influence in my organisation. So um, I'd really welcome, I think, Sarah, I know you do a survey afterwards, but a score of zero to 10 about you being able to take this, has there been something here that you could take and weave into your leadership or the leadership of others? So I'll give you a moment to lock in a score, but also that gives you a chance if anyone else has a, a question they want to ask, you're very welcome uh, to do that. So um, yeah, a score of zero to 10 uh, of uh, whether or not there's something here you could take and uh, weave in. And I'm very happy if you want to put what, what that might be in the chat. So I'll hand over to you, Sarah. We'll give people a chance to lock in a score. Fantastic. Excellent. Thank um, you. Mark, Mark, if there are any um, links you want to send me after this um, to include in the email later, I've got a list here, but I'll try and find some of this research that you've mentioned as well. Yes, Sam will, Sam will liaise with you, Sarah. There's a whole lot of the research here 
Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll share those links because we're very interested in, uh, you know, uh, contributing to this conversation around leadership. And you can see here that um, what we're talking about here is not necessarily uh, you have to adopt a brand new leadership model. It's a model of incorporating the enabling practices to deliver against these three principles. People are the solution, building the capacity for things to go right, and then finally, um, the ability to facilitate shared responsibility taking. And it's great, Richard, to know that you're applying it in your workplace. And by the way, I'm really interested to post this. You can contact me either through the Art of Work uh, website, artofwork.solutions or through Sarah. I'd love to hear your stories of what's happening as you either are currently using enabling leadership or are experimenting and pushing into that space, Sarah. I'd really welcome to hear people's stories of what they're learning and what has changed as a result of that. So please um, don't be shy. Uh, I love to hear what you're learning because one of the things about enabling leadership is building a reciprocal collaborative uh, environment of learning. Okay, well, you know, if people get the email later today with the webinar, if they just reply to that, I can forward yes. that to you, Mark, or they, they'll, Thank your you. details will be on there. Um, I have a question from Dave. What ideas do you have around moving managers from the old ABC view behaviours? Uh, yeah. Dave, that's a great question. I, I think what one of the most helpful ways is to set them up with a couple of very curious questions and get them to engage over a specific piece of work. And I would start with either something that is successful or is work that we know is difficult and engage in a conversation. Because I think what that will do, it will diminish uh, people's default position of the ABC model of understanding behavior because what they'll see is the problem brews deeper in the system. And uh, trying to explain behavior through solely the lens of a stimulus and response, they'll see the shortcoming of it. The other thing is uh, share the link of the human performance uh, regulator document. It's a really interesting read. It's written in non-technical language. Or the other thing I'd suggest, Dave, and again, I get no commission from any of these suggestions, but uh, Todd Conklin and Sydney Decker have just written an excellent book on doing safety differently. Um, and I think it's a great read. And um, I've heard a number of people give that to leaders who are interested in thinking about leadership. And it's really challenged uh, their leadership paradigm and practices and thinking about behavior. So there'd be a couple of quick suggestions, Dave that you could uh, trial and see whether or not uh, it brings a shift in people's behaviour and also thinking about people's behaviour as well. All right. And well, uh, thanks, Nick. I was just going to say, and very much focused on people-focused leadership that you're working on. I'd love to know more about that, Nick. Please feel free, as Sarah's invited you in the email, I'd love you to share what you're doing in that space and what you've been learning. But again, thanks for uh, coming and participating again. I always appreciate MyOsh and the work you're doing, Sarah. And it's always a delight to uh, join and partner with MyOsh in this uh, sort of sharing of ideas together and facilitating uh, collaboration. Great. Okay, well, uh, that was really great session, Mark. That was just so yeah, very interesting. And I think everyone who is uh, in the chat also agrees. Um, so we'll send that out later today um, and um, hopefully we can have you back on sometime later this year, Mark.
Great, excellent. Well, thank you all and uh, look forward to hearing what happens in your space. Okay, thank you everyone, bye. Bye for now.